Mark chapter 1, we'll read verses 1 through 15. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness, and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair, and with a girdle of a skin about his loins, and he did eat locust and wild honey. And preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened, and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven, saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered unto him. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. Amen. What do you need to know about Jesus Christ? That is what the writer Mark attempted to put into this recording of the gospel, the gospel according to Mark. Mark was a follower of Jesus Christ. It is widely believed that the Lord and his disciples observed Passover in his house, that he owned the house or that he lived in the house where the upper room was. And that was where the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper. Mark is also believed to be the young man who ran away from the soldiers who apprehended Jesus in Mark chapter 14, verses 51 through 52. The Bible says they laid hold on him and he, he dropped his coat and he ran. He, he ran away. Um, he, he fled. <clears throat> Following the crucifixion, Mark gathered with the church of Jerusalem, followed Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey, but about halfway through, he left and went back home. And that angered Paul at first. Paul was not too happy that Mark had gone home. And to the point that when they went on their second missionary journey, Barnabas says, hey, let's bring Mark along with us. And Paul said, I ain't having it. And so Paul and Barnabas split up. And Paul went with Silas. And Barnabas went with Mark. And so... You wind up with Mark ministering alongside Barnabas, and then later on he ministers alongside Peter. Mark is believed to have ministered alongside Peter in his ministry in Rome. He wrote the Gospel of Mark around the time of Peter's martyrdom to preserve the teachings of Christ and the things that Peter preached concerning Christ. And the interesting thing about the book of Mark is that it was written to a mostly Gentile audience. And so as we go through the book of Mark, you'll see him explain certain words, certain terms, and certain customs. Mark also teaches us who the Messiah was, what he was, what he was to do, and how Jesus fulfilled all that. As I mentioned earlier, Mark's gospel is believed to be the first written. It's also the most concise. So if it's important to the doctrine of Christ, you will find it in the book of Mark. 
As we study this book over the next few weeks, I want us to reflect. I want us to reflect upon our own spirituality. Where do we stand with the Lord? Do we know the Savior that Mark teaches us? Have we applied the precepts that Mark will teach us to our lives? Now, Mark, he's a young man. He's not even an apostle. He's kind of a junior member of all of this, but the apostles see the value that he brings to the table. They are comforted by them. Even after Paul got mad at Mark, he later wrote to bring Mark, for I have found him profitable to me in the ministry. Mark is going to set out to record the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in beginning his gospel, he opens up in verses 2 and 3 by quoting two prophets, the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Malachi. In verse 2, Mark writes, As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. That's a quotation of Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, which says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Mark has opened up his gospel by quoting Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 that says there's going to be a messenger to go before the Lord. And you're looking for the Lord. You're seeking the Lord. You want the Lord to come. He will send forth a messenger. Mark says the messenger has come. John the Baptist. Verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That's a quotation of Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3. Where Isaiah wrote, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Both of these verses Mark quoted pointed to the coming of the Lord and that the people should be prepared for his arrival. And then in verse 4 he says, John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So in Mark's time, when Mark is writing this, when Mark remembers experiencing this, he's quoting the Old Testament that says, before the Lord comes, his messenger will come. And he quotes those scriptures. And then he says, there was John the Baptist preaching that the Lord was coming, baptizing, preaching the, rem the repentance for the remission of sins. The ministry of John the Baptist was to say, the Lord is coming, get ready. And Mark, in writing this down, said, the Lord has come, has promised to return. He's going to come back quickly. You need to be ready. Mm -hmm. The things have already been set into motion for God to establish his kingdom on this earth. Now think about that. The things have already been set in motion for God to establish his kingdom on this earth. The time frame is moving. The plan is working. The sequence of events is going on right in front of our faces. That was what Mark was telling us, and that's what we know to be true even today. You look at the world political situation, and things are coming into alignment to allow the centralization of all the world's governments under one world power, which will be anti-Christian. But we know that Christ will overcome that, will defeat that, and will establish his kingdom on this earth. When you, and 
I'm, I'm studying business at Stephen F. Austin now. Y'all know that I'll talk about that from time to time. Every business class I take is teaching me about the future and how the future is global. And how we'll have to understand international law. We'll have to understand international customs because that's what the future is. My business law class has an entire section on international law. And there is no international law. International law is just customs that we typically go by, but there's no real way to enforce it. But we're studying that. Uh, we're studying, I mean, I, I now know how to open up my own blue jeans company. I can open up my own line of blue jeans. I've learned how to do this. Um, I just go on Alibaba, which is a Chinese commerce website, and I, I put out there, hey, I'm looking to have blue jeans manufactured. Who can make them for me? And manufacturers all over the world will bid on this project. And I can work out a deal and they'll manufacture them. They'll ship them to me. And then I can put them for sale in the gap if I can get them to buy them. But you see what I'm saying? The, 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 the future economy is global. The future of governance is global. Um, what's to stop us from the United States from just invading whatever country we want to? We don't want the economic sanctions of upsetting the international community. All of this is coming into alignment. And what's all this about? All of this is about the stage being set for the final battle so that Jesus can establish his kingdom on earth. It's happening right in front of us. And so we need to be ready. The first chapter of the Gospel of Mark notes that when you are confronted with the pending return of Jesus Christ, you need to be ready. And in order to be ready, you have to understand, first of all, that the time is short. This is not something you want to put off or think about another day. The second thing is, you need to repent. And we're going to talk about repenting this morning. The, uh, John the Baptist preached repentance. Jesus Christ preached repentance. We'll talk about that. And we'll talk about, you need to believe the gospel. This is how Mark opens up his gospel. You say, well, why are we studying this today? We've repented. We believe. We know Jesus is our Savior. The gospel of Mark was not a track written to be left in the restroom at a gas station. The Gospel of Mark was written to believers. And Mark opens up his Gospel written to believers by telling them the time is short, repent and believe the Gospel. The time is short. The first sign for the people that time was short was that the prophecy of John the Baptist had already come true. The scriptures had promised a forerunner to Christ, a messenger to herald his arrival. That messenger came, the Bible tells us that John came preaching repentance. And the people saw that John fulfilled the scripture. And they came to John, and they repented, and they were baptized. The scriptures tell us that there went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. What was driving this? Why were people going out into the wilderness to see this crazy preacher wearing a camel hair suit so that he could baptize them in the Jordan River? Have y'all ever seen the Jordan River? I've seen pictures of it. It's muddy, yeah. right? Okay, why are they going out there to be baptized in the Jordan River? Because the messenger has come, the voice crying in the wilderness, here comes the Lord. We need to be ready. And when people are faced with that, they start getting a lot more receptive to the gospel, do they not? Yeah. I remember the Persian Gulf War back in the early 90s. Everybody thought Saddam Hussein was the beast who was rebuilding Babylon. And churches were full. 
9-11, there's going to be a world war. This must be it. The following Sunday, churches are full. John's day, he preaches. There's the messenger. The Lord's coming. His church was full. The way people react. Time is short. But what happened? John was taken into custody, was imprisoned, was beheaded. And people weren't too sure about this Jesus. What happened in 1991, 1992, Persian Gulf War? We defeated Iraq pretty easily. We figured out that Saddam was not near the terror. He, he was a bad dude. But he was not near the world tyrant that we thought he was going to turn out to be. Life went back to normal. Three weeks after 9-11, people figured out that Jesus didn't, or they thought that they figured out that Jesus didn't have his hand on the doorknob anymore. Life went back to normal. But the thing is, life ain't back to normal. John came preaching Jesus. And he came telling the people that their lives were about to change. And their lives did change. Jesus came. He preached. He taught. He was crucified. He was buried. He rose again. The people rejected him. Within their lifetimes, they saw Jerusalem destroyed in God's judgment. Time is short. You think you've got time to straighten out your spirituality. You don't. Time is short. In verses 14 through 15... Now after that John was put into prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Jesus came forth preaching the gospel of the kingdom. His message, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Basically, he was saying, time's up, the kingdom is near. And we talked about how that meant that the life was going to change for the people of Israel, and it did. His message, the time is fulfilled. You ever bake something in the oven? You put the cookie dough on the cookie sheet, and you put it in the oven, and the instructions say to bake at 350 degrees for 15 minutes. And you put it in that 350-degree oven, and you set that timer for 15 minutes. And 15 minutes later, ding! You open the oven, and there's a dozen cookies. The time was fulfilled. The cookies are done. Mm -hmm. And just like you have those cookies in that oven for 15 minutes, God has a timer set. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, ding! He says, the time is fulfilled. The time is up. It was time for Israel to meet their Messiah and to make the decision to accept him or to reject him. And they rejected him. Yes. Our, time of, our time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand for us. Now there are those who would say, Brother Leland, these words were preached thousands of years ago. And Christ still hasn't come back. For hundreds of years, people have said Jesus is coming back soon and he hasn't come back. Every time we get to a turn of the century, Jesus is coming back. I was reading books from World War I era and World War II era, and they were talking about how this is it. They had never seen a world war before. What else would they think? They were saying this is it. Jesus is coming back. 
and the 10 European countries that are fighting, those will be the 10 toes on the metal man. And here we go, and there's one world government. This is what's going to happen. And it didn't happen. At least not to the way we thought it would. One says, y'all been saying Jesus has been coming back for thousands of years. He ain't come back yet. Got to be careful with that sentiment. That's a dangerous sentiment. It places you in the same camp as Peter's scoffers from 2 Peter chapter 3. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 4, Peter said, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, listen to this, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. The fact that the scoffers are saying this, y'all have been saying this for years and it still hadn't happened, the fact that we're hearing that criticism today proves that we are actually getting closer to the time that Jesus returns. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. The Bible clearly teaches that we are closer than we know to the coming of Christ. You may live to see Christ appear on this earth. You may die beforehand. But the thing is, you're closer to one or the other than you realize. You are closer to the return of Christ than you realize. You are closer to dying than you realize. The Bible tells us that we are appointed once to die, then the judgment. And also, to be present from the body is to be, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I don't know when the Lord will return. It could be within the next few years. It could be in the next century. Nevertheless, I know that I will soon face the Lord in judgment and enter his kingdom. And I don't know when that day is, but I do know that that day is closer than I think. And that day is closer for you than you think. I mean, you know, you may say, well, you know, I'm on up in years. I'm on up in years. I know it's about time for me. But in the back of your mind, you're still thinking you've got a little bit more time. These young people, I'm, I'm a kid. But we know that God calls kids home. We know that God calls young adults home. And this really is a weird thing around the Brownwood early area where you see an unusually large number of young people being called home to the Lord. I don't I don't remember this from East Texas. Maybe I wasn't paying attention back then. But we know kids at the school whose parents have passed away. And we're not talking from traffic accidents. We're talking from health problems, mm -hmm. random heart attacks, you know, that strike a 42-year-old man, uh, cancers, diseases, and there are car accidents. You never know. You don't know when the day that God calls you home will be, but you are closer to that than you think. And therefore... We need to put the same sense of urgency on our spiritual lives as Jesus and John told us back in the book of Mark. Do not make the mistake of thinking that you still have time to get it together. Jesus said the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. He's got his hand on the door. Y'all remember in school when teacher had to go down the hallway and she put somebody in charge. But if it was one of your friends, you could still get away with a bunch of stuff. The teacher goes down the hall, and you're all acting a little crazy. But then all of a sudden, that doorknob on that door started to turn, did it not? Mm -hmm. Teacher's back. 
brothers and sisters, the Lord has his hand on the doorknob, and that doorknob is starting to turn. Yeah. Repent. Turn to the Lord today. That was the Lord's message. Yeah. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye. Believe the gospel. Repent. Repent. What does it mean to repent? Greek word, metanoeo. I'm only going to say that once. To change one's mind for the better, heartily, to amend with the abhorrence of one's past sins. That's according to the Thayer Bible Dictionary. This means that you not only regret your sins. Everybody in the jailhouse regrets their sins. Everybody that has seen the destruction of their sinful choices regrets their sins. When I look at the situation that I am in financially sometimes, I regret my sins. I wish I had finished that college degree 20 years ago instead of trying to go back and do it now. I wish I had put the bottle down. I wish I had made better choices, all right? Um, everybody who has reaped the consequences of their sin regrets it. But we're not talking about merely regretting or being sorry for your sin. We talk about repentance. We are talking about you regret your sin, you abhor your sin, but you also make changes so that you do not return to your sin. Now, this does not mean that you never sin again. What it does mean is that sin is no longer your lifestyle. We're making changes. We are getting this out of our lives. One of... I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to talk about specific sin now, Brother Jim. Something about firecrackers and schools, but um, and concupiscence um, is the word that was in the King James Bible about that. But the desire for something just because it's forbidden. Excellent lesson this morning from Brother Jim. Uh, one of the things he talked about was how the law brings about sin because when you are told that something is forbidden, all you're thinking about is that thing that's forbidden. But we've got a crisis going on today internet pornography is everywhere it's readily accessible um, it is available on any device with two clicks in many cases and you can get that on your computer on your phone on your tablet on your smart TV at home it's readily available and people are consuming it like crazy and it is destroying sexual morality it is destroying sexuality it is creating a generation multiple generations of predators it is literally rotting society from the inside out and it is addictive it is physically addictive there is a chemical reaction that happens in your brain that has the same addictive quality as crack cocaine. It is addictive. And so, and it destroys lives. And so, somebody finds themselves wrapped up in that. And they can feel sorry that they looked at it. And they can, they can, they can pray and ask God to forgive them for looking at it. But if they don't take steps to keep themselves from looking at it anymore and they go back to it have they repented 
you have to do things. You have to do things to hold yourself accountable. Um, one of the things that I do is uh, at you know my computer, I've I've got one in the living room, and the screen is facing the living room. So whoever's in the living room can see exactly what I'm looking at. I've got a computer in the bedroom. I'm never in the bedroom. If I'm on the computer in the bedroom, it's a laptop. I take it to the living room with me. But as it is set up now, somebody walks into the bedroom, they can see what's on my screen before I know they're in the room. Little things of accountability. Mm -hmm. um, having things set up where people can see what you've been looking at. Um, all of my devices are Google linked, which means if I search for something on Google and Jessica sits down at a computer, she can look in the Google history and see what I've been looking for. Um, these are just things of accountability you do to stop yourself from doing things. Mm -hmm. And this is something that if this is an addiction you have, you need to take those steps, all right? Um, I take those steps to stay above reproach so that the kids know who I am, what I am, what I'm doing. So there's no suspicion there. But if this is something you're caught up in, you take those steps. If, you're, if your addiction, if the sin that you have found yourself imprisoned by has been alcoholism, then you don't go to places that sell, serve alcohol. Um, you don't go to the liquor store. Uh, you don't go to the bar. Well, I'm just going to go see a friend in there. You, 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 don't, you don't play around with it. No. All right? You don't take the firecrackers to school. You, 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 you make, what I'm saying is, you make changes in your life so that you don't go back into that lifestyle. And some of those are hard changes to make. Sometimes it involves cutting off contact with friends and bad influences. But you have to make those changes. That is repentance. Jesus and John both preached this. The idea is that to become a believer and to be saved, you must turn from your sin. Salvation is a life change and it is a life-changing event. Verse 4 says, John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. We skip right over that most of the time. John's out there preaching and he's baptizing. But we don't really think about what the baptism of repentance is, do we? You might think of a church baptismal service. That's not what John was doing out there. The baptism of repentance. This was actually a ritual that was common back in the days of the Old Testament, back in the Bible days. It was a ritual often used in temple worship and around the Jewish feast. The idea was that if you had sinned against God or found yourself alienated from the Jewish faith or the Jewish promises that God had made to them, you went through a purification baptism before entering the temple and returning to worship. And they had these baths around the temple. And now John was out in the Jordan River. But they did have these baths or baptistries, if you will, built around the temple. And they had two staircases. You walked down one to go into it. You immersed yourself in the water. You came out. You're symbolizing your cleansing. And then you walk out the other staircase showing that you are leaving, but you're not coming. You're not going back the way you came. You're not going back to your old ways. The baptism of repentance. They have uncovered several of these baths around the Temple Mount that were used for this purpose. 
It showed repentance. It showed that you were being purified and cleansed by Christ and you were not going back to your old way. John's preaching of the baptism of repentance had a significant meaning because the people that went through this process had become alienated from the promise of God. They had become alienated from the inheritance that he had promised Abraham. They had become alienated from the Jewish culture. If you were a Gentile, you had to undergo this process. And John was telling Jews, all of them, you need to be baptized with a baptism of repentance. You're all sinners. You have all been alienated. You have all been cut off. You need to come back in. Repent. Be purified. And turn away from your sin. And people were doing that. Christ is coming. Be ready to receive him. Same holds true for us. Christ is coming. It's time for us to return home. Mm -hmm. It's time for us to be prepared to see him. Jesus said in verse 15, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And by the way, that last phrase, repent ye and believe the gospel, that is the sum of all the teachings of Christ throughout the entire book of Mark. Mm -hmm. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Christ himself called us to repent, to change our minds against our sins, and to come out of our sins, to turn from our sins. How often do you read about Jesus healing someone and telling the person he healed, Go ye therefore, and sin no more. How often did he, re- did he say those words? Go ye therefore, sin no more. People like to go to the telling of the story of the woman taken in the act of adultery. And these men bring this woman taken in the act of adultery to Jesus, and they say, we caught her in the act of adultery. The law says that she should be stoned. But what say you, Jesus? And Jesus said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Mm-hmm. And they all got to thinking. And nobody was without sin. They all dropped their stones, starting with the oldest one, because he's the wisest. And he probably got more sin because he's had more opportunity. All the way down to the youngest one. They all drop their stones and they go away. And Jesus looks at the woman and says, Where are your accusers? Does no man does no man condemn you? And she says, None, my Lord. And he says, Neither do I condemn you. And contemporary Christianity stops the story right there. Jesus doesn't condemn you. We've all got sin. Just leave each other alone. You got to keep reading. Jesus told her, Neither do I condemn you. Go ye therefore and sin no more. What did he tell her to do? Repent. You have been saved. You have been spared. You have been given new life. Go ye therefore. Sin no more the sum of the teachings of Christ. Jesus called us to repent, to turn away from sin, and to take steps to put the sin out of our lives. What he did not tell us, he did not tell us our sin was paid for, therefore there's no need to worry about it. He did not tell us to merely acknowledge our sin, confess he paid for it, then casually continue to live in sin. That's the problem with modern Christianity. Modern Christianity says it's all been paid for, therefore it's an all-you-can-eat buffet. Just enjoy. Just be happy. If it makes you feel good, do it. If you find fulfillment in it, then that must mean God's in it. If you find joy in it, that must mean God's in it. That is a lie from the pits of hell. 
I'm starting to sound like an independent fundamental Baptist. You, you, you try to, to like tiptoe around these issues, but you really just have to bluntly say it. The idea that just living to find joy, living to find happiness, living to find fulfillment, that's what Satan uses to pull you away from the faith. Christ has called us to turn away from our sin and to place our faith in him, to repent and believe the gospel. Repent. Put it out of your life. Jesus had this peculiar statement he made. He said that if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. Right? You think Jesus really wants you harming yourself? No, what's he telling you? Yeah. That, that thing in your life, that sin in your life, you need to cut that off. Yeah. That's what he's saying. Yes. And so there may be some things that we don't do that the rest of the world does. There may be some things that you don't do that other Christians do. There may be some things that are totally normal in society to do, but you don't do them. Why? Because you're, that avenue of sin getting into your life, you are cutting that Amen. off. Amen. That's repentance. Yes. It's not a daily works where you've got your list of things that you don't do. It's not the Atkins diet. I think keto is the big deal now. I don't know. Y'all can tell I'm not much into dieting. Where you look over this plate of food, you've got your checklist. But all the things that are on this plate that I can't eat. That's not repentance. No. <laughs> What's repentance is not getting the plate of food in the first place, I guess. Yeah. We're going to follow this all the way out, which is why I don't diet. Um, but what repentance is, is you are making that lifestyle change that brings your values into alignment with the values of Christ and your activities are accordingly. Yeah. That's repentance. Yeah. Jesus said in verse 15, Repent ye and believe the gospel. I don't think when Jesus judges my ministry here at LifePoint, he's going to ask me, how did you do, Leland? I think he's going to ask you guys. He's going to ask you guys, did Leland teach you what the gospel is? And you're going to say, yes, Jesus. Leland taught us the gospel. He's going to say, what is it? Yeah. Please, no. <laughs> The gospel. I'm, I know I'm being silly, but how many Christians don't know the gospel? Go, go, go ask ten people on the street, what's the gospel? Mm -hmm. All ten of them probably won't be able to tell you. Because we have gotten so hung up on telling you how to be happy with life that we have forgotten to teach you the gospel. The gospel is, is defined by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 through 4. So when Jesus says, did Leland teach you the gospel? And then he tells you, do you know it? This is the answer. I'm, I don't think he's going to ask all about me. He's going to ask you about you. <laughs> but here's the answer. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, yeah. that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. Amen. What's the gospel of Mark? The Gospel of Mark records the road to the cross, the cross, the burial, and the resurrection. The Gospel according to John, the road to the cross, the cross, 
the burial, the resurrection. Matthew and Luke, same thing. He's not just telling you Jesus' life story. These writers are not just telling you Jesus' life story. They are recording the steps that Christ took en route to the cross. That's why we call it the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke, the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to John. The gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins according to the scriptures. He died for our sins. His death was the result of our sins. His death cleansed us of our sins. His death paid the penalty for our sins. And after he died that death, he was buried for three days. Yeah, I remember Lazarus. Jesus, he's been in there four days. He probably stinks by now. <laughs> Brother Jim gave us an excellent visual in Sunday school this morning. I've only eaten two kolaches because of that. You didn't kill my appetite, but you did reduce it. Thank you. Um, Jesus was in the grave three days. He was fully dead. Then he rose again. He gave us new life. He was fully buried. He was fully dead. He rose again, thus he took his life back and will live forever. And in doing so, the Bible tells us he ever lives to make intercession for us. Being the first fruit of the resurrection, he blazed a trail, thus we'll all be raised again. And thus he has the power to give us eternal life. And those who repent and believe, he gives eternal life. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent ye and believe the gospel. Jesus called us to believe the gospel, to trust the gospel, to look to the gospel. Our faith and our hope that we are getting into heaven is wrapped up in that gospel and what Jesus did for us on the cross. We're not getting in there because we're good people. We're not getting in there because we truly believe. We're not getting in there because we believe that there is a heaven. Well, I say we truly believe, I mean we're not getting in there just because we believe we're going in there. We're getting in there because we truly believe that Jesus Christ died and paid the price of admission for us to get us into heaven. Alright? The thing that we pin our hopes on is that Jesus cleansed us of our sins and paid the price thereof on the cross. I love to quote Isaiah 45:22. When we talk about faith. One reason is I never thought of it. But when I read the account of the conversion of Charles Spurgeon. That was the verse. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. The man that preached that sermon to Charles Spurgeon said. Many of you are looking to yourselves. When you ought to be looking to God. American culture today, human culture, human nature, this is everywhere, it's not just Americans, is self-focused. What makes me happy? What do I want? What do I deserve? What ought I to get? What makes me happy is going to heaven, and I deserve to go to heaven because I'm a good guy, because I did this nice thing, ignoring the sin that was committed along the way. Brother Jim told, I hope you don't mind me ripping off your Sunday school lessons for the Sunday service. But Brother Jim told the story of a man who had failed to secure a cannon aboard a ship. And the cannon created quite a bit of damage during the storm as it rolled along the deck of the ship and had even killed a few men in it because it was a you know, huge four-ton cannon that had caused all this damage. And the man that failed to secure it decided to go down there and secure it. 
So he went down there, battled it, secured it, and the man was given a medal for his heroic efforts. Then he was shot for having not secured the cannon. We like to think of the good things we did and the things that we should deserve a medal for, but the thing is, we are still deserving to be shot for our sin. The grace of God, the love of our Lord Jesus Christ, is that he took that bullet on our behalf. Mm -hmm. And that's why we expect to go to heaven. Now, when we talk about repenting and believing, I don't want you to get this idea that you've got to repent and straighten your life out, then believe. The repentance and the belief is a simultaneous action. When you come to realize your need for salvation and the gospel's fulfillment of your need for salvation, and you make that decision to trust the Lord for salvation, you're making that decision to turn from your sins and to turn to the Lord. It's a simultaneous action. But you must do both to be saved. Simply saying, I'm going to get it together and repent is not going to get you into heaven. Simply saying, Jesus died on the cross is not going to get you into heaven. What gets you into heaven is that simultaneous moment that you make that decision, that commitment, that I am turning from my sins and trusting the Lord for salvation because he paid for my sins on the cross. Have you made that decision? Yes. 